Welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I'm your host, Dexter Kearley, uh, coming to you, I guess, slightly delayed and live. So I'm on uh, Instagram Live right now, recording the intro as well as recording the audio for it. But I'm super excited about today's guest. His name is Luke Stevenson. And um, man, he's just done like, he actually, so one of my buddies was, we were talking a while back and he was like, dude, Luke's, so I met this guy, long story short, met this guy at STS9 concert years ago. And then my buddy Blake, who's a former guest on the podcast, he um, suggested that I have Luke on next time he was in town. So I reached out to him on Instagram and Turns out he was coming to town to run the Polidoro Canyon 50 miler. That happened this past, uh, well, this past weekend? I think it was this past weekend. Anyway, um, Luke ended up coming in town and winning the, the dang race, the 50 mile race. Most people won't ever be able to say that they've completed a 50 mile race, much less won it. I mean, even like the extreme runners that I know or the runners that I've, uh, in my close personal life that are accomplished not many of them have done 50 miles so um anyway super good guest today i've got a little bit of an intro to record i've got some shout outs and then we will get into today's guest so um it's kind of interesting i think i, I wanted to put this out on the podcast and kind of to the larger uh listenership um this kind of so i have some aspirations for the podcast i would like to to grow it to kind of get um, well, to get some like merchandise and there's some just different stuff. I'm, I'm trying to figure out basically how to, um, I don't exactly, I don't exactly know. Um, but I have a, I have a, I want to like, for instance, anytime I have a guest, I'd like to have like a little package of merch to give them like kind of as a thank you for being on the show. Um, but in order to that, I have to have the merch. So I have to be able to justify to my wife, basically, you know, getting some merch made and doing that. And um, so I kind of need a, an income uh, off of the podcast so that I can start making some stuff happen and dedicating more time to it, hopefully. And I'm going back and forth because there's several, there's a whole lot of different ways to like monetize. I put like air quotations on Um and like, so I'm, I'm going between like the Patreon and the sponsorship. I'm kind of going back and forth in between those two. Because on one hand, you can get a sponsorship and then it's free to everybody, which it, it'll always be a free product, you know, the, the podcast will always be. But then you also have a Patreon where then the people, the audience kind of supports it. Like, so the, uh, the really interesting... The two examples I would give would be, or I guess three examples, Chris Ryan and from Tangentially Speaking and um, Sam Harris from, uh, oh damn, what is his podcast called? I just went blank on it. I listened to it twice this past week. Um, anyway, not really, I guess, important, but Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up, the Waking Up podcast. They both run completely off of Patreon support. And what's really cool is it frees them. They're not beholden to any sponsorship. Um, so it frees them to, to with the content, with what they're talking about, 
uh, and gives them just some options. They're, they're two interesting cases. But then you also got a guy like Joe Rogan who has a bunch of sponsorships and he has a huge listenership and he can still say whatever he wants. But um, so, so there's a lot of different models and then there's even more than that. But so I'm kind of going back and forth on that. If anybody has an opinion or a thought, shoot me a message um, uh, or a suggestion or uh, anything really. Just shoot me a message. Um, but all that being said, I'm hoping to have some t-shirts and some hats and stuff like that uh, pretty soon uh, for the podcast. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, so you know, like one of the things I was going to mention is like building a podcast uh, exponentially requires more time and more effort. So it's kind of interesting uh, this past week I put up a couple I have three um, videos up on YouTube now uh, interviews uh, Keegan Hollis one Luis Garcia and Brittany Bush I think I have those three episodes up and it's funny because it like just adding that one more stage of posting a video to YouTube editing it and posting it which I, I didn't do a very good job on on any of the editing I'm, I need to get a little bit better on that but it requires a lot more time and a lot more effort, and which detracts from other things. So it's kind of one of those things like I'm hoping to be able to demote or devote more time to the craft. But um, all that to say, uh, I've got some aspirations, but that was that bullet point. So next thing is I want to give Amarello a shout out just in general. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Amarello is a place that has a lot going on. Um so there's a lot of people like keeping the train on the track. That's like one of the things that I wrote. Um, anytime that there's like a high concentration of people keeping the train on the track, so to speak, um, it ends up being a pretty good place, I feel like. And, and that's what I feel like, um, you know, for instance, like Shake Hands Amarillo. It's, you know, we, we had that tournament. I don't know if I've talked about that yet on this, in this podcast, but we just had a tournament. I think I did talk about it. Um, the other day, it was super fun, ping pong, um, so shout out to Shake Hands Amarillo, if you're in the, in or around the Amarillo area, and you like ping pong, give Shake Hands Amarillo Facebook page a follow, um, and, cause they post, uh, tournaments, uh, on there, and the tournaments have been super fun, uh, we've entered into two, and there's been a lot of ping pong played, a lot of laughs had, it's been a super good time, and I'd love to see you out there. Um, they have two different brackets. They have like the freaks bracket, which I'm not in. Uh, super high level players. These guys, a lot of them take it real serious. Um, they're they were they're dedicated to the art of ping pong. Um, and then there's another bracket which has a lot of really good players in it. That's the bracket I'm in. The the there's like an A bracket and a B bracket, and it's a lot of fun. I mean. I've had a lot of fun, close games. Um, it's a good time. So, anyway, everybody, I think every layer uh, or level of player is welcome. Um, so, also want to give out a shout out to uh, Keegan Hollis and Gunnar Wadowski. They threw a little house party, um, and or look, I guess it was a Halloween like a costume party, but super fun. Um, several bands played. There was a couple of DJs. So it was uh, Corbin Carey, uh, Fish Lips, and Gaz De Odd. I think all three of those were DJs. If I got that wrong, I apologize. But those were the names of the people that were there. And then 
um, Smooth Taste, the band, which I'm going to play a tune from them here in a little bit, and uh, Bad Grammar. There were some rappers. Um, those, you know, they had the house bumping the whole time. It was really cool. Uh, they had a fun photo booth outside it. I was dressed up like Speed Racer, um, which it was an amazing story. I'll have to get into that sometime, but uh, awesome. Probably the best Halloween costume I've ever had. It was ridiculous, but um, Goodwill is amazing for that. Uh, but it was a super fun show, uh, really good time. Seemed like there was a lot of people out. Um, just an awesome house show. Uh, and there's like there's a lot of talent in Amarillo, like even at that party. Um, I was talking to just random people and they're, everybody's going to school or they're pursuing something, you know, a lot of people are, um, like higher minded, if that makes sense. They're, um, working towards a goal and it's kind of cool. Like there's this, um, <clears throat> stigma around millennials that, uh, no, nobody has any aspirations and they're just sitting around waiting on everything to come to them. That's not true. Uh, I don't feel like, you know, anytime I'm in, uh, around some younger kids I think talked to a couple that was married and I'm not gonna be able to remember their names off the top of my head but they were like 23 22 ish I think um both I think they were already getting their both getting their masters um it's just cool it's a very cool community I had a lot of fun at that party and then of course got to give a shout out to the critical mass uh bike ride uh Luis Garcia uh super dope he uh, he had these shirts printed up at Free Cheese, uh, Free Trees, Free Cheese Prints printed up some T-shirts, and uh, he handed them out. It was a lot of fun. It was a super good time. We rode, uh, hit a couple of different spots, but that's the last Friday of every month, uh, and it's you know there's a lot of different points to it, but one is to get people out on their bikes so that cars start to acknowledge that there are bikes on the road. Um, also, like kind of the principles of it are to be safe and to practice good, um, you know, proper riding techniques. Um, you know, the whole goal is to make it to where less people get hit by cars and uh, also to help like stoke um the culture like the bike culture in Amarillo to where you know the more bikes that are on the road the less people are going to hit may get hit maybe you know um it it all depends on people both bicyclists learning how to ride with cars and cars learning how to ride with bicyclists and uh so like that's kind of the goal is like let's turn everybody into bicycle bicyclists you know like let's get everybody um you know, where you drive a car and you ride a bike. So hopefully both parties would be a little bit safer. Anyway, it was really fun. Cruised around, uh, met some great people. It was a, like seriously, the whole group, everybody that was there was just awesome people. So if you don't have a bike, get a bike by next last Friday um, and join in. It's a great time. So, um, let's see. So like Amarillo, I guess I'll say all of that. I mentioned those, those things cause you know, my wife and I don't get out a whole lot. You know, she's in school. Um, we work and everything. So, uh, just like everybody's stories, we're always busy, but when we do get to get out, there's a lot of really cool things happening in Amarillo. And so it's kind of funny. I always like, I'll, I'll have, I have a lot of friends that say, um, 
they want to leave to a scene. They want to move to Austin. They want to move to Denver or like there's something waiting for them out there. Um, but I really do feel like Amarillo has something here that it is presenting and um, has a scene. It has a really good scene, actually. Um, a lot of fun. So a lot of fun's been had in the, the recent weeks, and I'm super psyched on just Amarillo in general. And I also think it has to probably do with the fact that we've had a lot of rain recently, and the temperatures have been super nice. Like today is a beautiful fall day. Uh, I don't I don't even think the wind's blowing, hardly any. So anyway, all that to say, I'm psyched on Amarillo right now, um, and I'm psyched on my on today's guest. He was uh, a lot of fun. He has some interesting stuff. I'll let him tell it. He tell, he talks about some of his uh, other long-distance accomplishments. And I've got a lot of great guests coming up in the next, um, hmm, I think I have three, three more uh podcast scheduled to happen you know interviews scheduled to happen uh and i have more that are like kind of like just outside of being scheduled you know like i've talked and confirmed with people are interested in being on i just have to line up the time you know that goes back to the aspirations portion like i would like more time to dedicate to this podcast because i have a lot of super interesting people that i'm wanting to interview um so anyway all of that to say um Let's see, did I get through all of my notes? I think I did. So um, today I'm going to play Dark Matter by Smooth Taste. Um, saw it, like I said, saw these dudes play last night. It was a really good show. It was a cool venue. I, you know, Gunner's house where I was at is a super cool venue. It's kind of intimate and like super tight. Um, but it's just some good old rock and roll. So... Uh, really enjoyed it. It was like, so I always try to like break down a little bit. So it was jam-esque. So like it kind of made me think like a Pink Floyd cover album. Like, or cover, did I say cover? Concept album. So it, it had some jam parts, but there was also like uh, some good lyricism alongside of it. So it's like building like two separate narratives in a way, in a sense. So, but they had some good jams. Um... And that is what I'm going to play in. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy uh, Luke Stevenson. Give him a follow on Instagram. I think we talk about his Instagram handle and whatnot in the episode. But if not, I think it's just I think it's just Luke Stevenson 806, if I remember correctly. And if we don't talk about it in the podcast, you definitely should follow him because his Instagram is super badass. He's doing these like really large trail runs and he's hiking all these different peaks i think right now he's already done all the 14ers and he's trying to do all the 13,000 foot peaks in colorado so he's like posting all these onto his instagram of like wilderness and he's out there on his you know with two feet in a water bottle it's crazy so anyway enjoy this episode um thank you all for tuning in and until next time have a good one
Okay, and I'm here with Luke Stevenson. So you, right? I said that right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dexter. <laughs> okay, so uh, you lived here in Amarillo mm -hmm. from birth to... I uh, did my first two years of college at AC. Oh, nice. Yeah, I went to uh, Tascosa High School. Okay, what year did you graduate? 2005. 2005, okay, mm -hmm. I was 07. Okay. And I think my first year at Tascosa was 05, 06. So I just missed out. Mm -hmm. I think you just And you left. graduated with my brother, mm -hmm. Spencer. Yep, Spencer, mm -hmm. yeah. It, um, it's funny, man. Amarillo is such a small, like, it's like a, it's a big, small town, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it, there's so many, it's like one degree of separation from anybody in the world, you know? It's so crazy. Um, but so you just got done with the 50-miler in the canyon. Yes. And you got first place. Yes, on Saturday. Yes. So how many ultras have you run? Oh, I would say actual races, probably about like five. Maybe. Five? Yeah. And um, as far as just training wise too, with like Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, mm -hmm. um, counting those in probably, oh, training wise, probably closer to 20 too. Mm. Dang, dude. Okay. So on a, on like, okay, you're getting ready to run 50 miles mm -hmm. morning of like, what's the mindset? Mindset before was just stretching, relaxing. I uh, actually had a really good friend come out, uh, Jeff Kimbrell, that worked for the UFO. Oh, uh, yeah. Talking about one degree of separation. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jeff was kind enough to wake up, pick me up at the house at 5.15 a.m., drive me to the start. And then he actually handed water bottles to me um, okay. and pretty much restocked those water bottles, refilled them to where... Going through the set aid stations, all I had to do was toss a bottle to Jeff and he tossed a full one to me. Nice. And that saved some time to just kind of whenever you're going in that mindset mm -hmm. of how you want to compete. So you kind of, you're like eliminating variables as much as possible. You're trying to get it to where all you're thinking about is running. It just, whenever there's about on that course over 50 miles, there's about 15, 16 aid station stops. We did the math. If you spend 90 seconds at each one, which is very easy to do, you kind of get sucked mm -hmm. into the aid station. Uh, that's 22 minutes over the course of the race. And that's a big chunk of yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. So we just kind of wanted to do a grab and go style, which towards the end of the race just um, needed a little bit more hydration. So he would give me a bottle and just I would drink a little bit more. But uh, it greatly helped. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Nice. So... Um, let's see, mentally prepared. So lo logistically, that's the moment, like you're, uh, is that start a couple of days out? You start logistically thinking about how you're going to get through this thing or what? Yeah, I like to get everything together the night before and pretty much had everything packed up and then wanted to make it as easy on my crew as possible just to minimize the chance for, you know, mix-ups. So I had basically little baggies for every stop there. So, nice. you know, logistics wins wars. Yeah. But I guess back to the mindset at the start of the race, just really everything you've done can be done at that point. And it's just about improvising. And Jeff, you know, was kind of worried that, you know, if he made a mistake, might slow down time or something. Yeah. I said, no, Jeff, we can fix everything. It's not a life or death situation. So I think that ability just to roll with the punches during the mm. race too is kind of a, uh, you know, um, key to success. And Which like you running. were saying, we were talking before we started recording and you were saying it was crazy muddy, which mm -hmm. is like, 
Amarillo just broke like a like the worst drought I think since or I think it was it ended up being a worse drought than the Dust Bowl even longer uh, less rain over a longer period of time than even that but recently it's just uh, it's been crazy wet around here we've been getting a ton of rain mm-hmm. and the canyon being the lowest area of the air of uh, the Panhandle. I don't know if it's the lowest area of the Panhandle, but it's the lowest area of this area, mm-hmm. and it just collects water, gets all crazy, super muddy, and everything. And yeah. so, like, how was how was that like uh, on your mindset when you're getting ready to like start the race, and you know it's muddy? Unfortunately, I only brought road running shoes because I thought that that was a good choice in the canyon for mm-hmm. a race. So going into that, it's just. These are the only shoes I have here with me, so improv improv on that, yeah. and then um, so I knew I was going to be slipping and sliding yeah. from the start of it too, and really it was just about slowing down at some of the muddiest points too, and just kind of finding the way through that wouldn't go above the shoe. Yeah, wouldn't go above the shoe. There were a few areas. Luckily, whenever the sun came out, it kind of dried up better and better, mm. but uh, it was. Definitely the first lap through, it was uh, the most slick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, dude. That's so crazy. So are you nervous the morning of the race? Not really. I think it's more just about reeling in the emotions at the start line, too, and just making sure that you just don't go out at a pace that's just not sustainable. Because it's easy to get amped up. Like, it's easy to like be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm feeling great. You know, I'm going to win this thing, and then you go out, and you're just running too hard, huh? Well, statistically, looking at the race, um, kind of a numbers guy, so going back through, pretty much, I would say 9 out of 10 years, the person in the lead on the first lap doesn't win the race. So it's kind of reeling it in, because the first, you know, 10% of the race can ruin the rest if you Mm. just go out too fast, because you'll never recover if you just... If you hammer super hard, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it is kind of funny, like some of that stuff you don't really, uh, my first half marathon I ran was here in Amarillo and right out of the gate, it was like, I'm running, I got my music in and I think it was just the crowd or something. And mm-hmm. like my first mile, it was like, uh, I'm going way too fast. And then my second mile, I still felt great, but I'm going way too fast. It was like, Oh, got to slow it back. You know, I felt great, but it was just because I was so amped, you know. I was just in the moment, you know. I mm-hmm. wasn't thinking that, like, long term. I ended up running, a, a, you know, a better race than I was anticipating. But it's only a half marathon. That's the difference. Whenever you're talking about, you're talking about 50 miles, it's a completely different scenario. Like, so, do you feel like, uh, do you feel like you were built to run long distances? I think growing up, I always had the endurance just to keep going and going and just grind it out. But I was never the fastest kid in class by far, too. I mean, uh, whenever it was in middle school, it was pretty obvious that I wasn't going to be one of the sprinters and mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be a shot put thrower. Yeah. So uh, just gravitated towards long distance okay. and really enjoyed it. So yeah. is that when, when did you start running? I ran track in middle school, which just... Basically, everybody did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you didn't have the mindset of track is my sport, it was a mindset that this is going to help me improve for basketball, baseball, Mm -hmm. football, just Mm -hmm. cardio fitness too. And then started running in high school. And then 
just kind of the teenage mindset. Whenever I started getting a few letters from colleges, I decided, eh, I don't like this and quit. <laughs> and uh, looking back now, it's like, wow, that was a stupid mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but um, kind of ran a little bit on and off during college and um, just mostly for fitness and always wanted to run the Boston Marathon. Mm. And decided I wasn't getting any younger and the race wasn't getting any shorter. So just started training again for it right after I got out of college and just fortunately trained right and just, you know, had the um, athletic nature for endurance that was able to qualify on my first marathon try. Yeah. Had a few friends that were mad at me on that one, but it was, uh, (laughs) you know, it, it was hard work, but it was also just kind of realizing that, you know, just naturally had been endurance running was probably what I excelled at sport wise. So, and that was that your first marathon that you'd ever done? That was the first marathon I did too. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So now high school, I'm assuming it was cross country, did cross you... country. And then also ran track. And, also ran track. and that was only, um, half of freshman and then my sophomore year. And then just, so wait, you're getting letters halfway through your sophomore year from colleges? Uh, yeah, just um, letters of interest. And, you know, they were smaller colleges at the time, too. So it was just starting to get those. And just, you know, kind of fortunately now, I think if I would have run in college, I wouldn't enjoy it now. Yeah, too. you maybe gotten burned out or a little, little burned a little too hot there in college, you think? Yeah, I think I would have totally been burned out just with trying to balance, you know, working in college, the course workload, and mm-hmm. then competing at mm-hmm. that level, too. That One of those three things would have had to give, too. Yeah, dang. Okay, let's see here. We've already kind of bounced around a little bit on my notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I already had to almost throw them out. But um, so you weren't uh, one of the things that's I've noticed as getting like older become mm-hmm. I, I didn't start running until I was 27 was the first time I actually started pushing myself past like the three mile mark, the four mile mark. Um, and then, you know, now even with the marathon mark, most people, it's like I want to run one marathon. So they gear up everything. They pull all of their determination, everything together mm-hmm. for one race. And then they say, I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. What was it that after your first like marathon made you think, well, I can maybe go further. I can maybe go longer. You mm-hmm. know, like what was that? What, what made you think that? I think it was just a couple of things. One, at the time I had a job that I really didn't like. And so running was my stress release every day after work. So I think that, you know, not enjoying the job at the time, just sitting in a cubicle eight hours a day just Mm. wasn't what I was meant for. Mm -hmm. And running was kind of my release. So that's what I looked forward to every day whenever I got out of work at five o'clock, just going and hitting the roads. So Mm. I think that that was a big contributing factor on wanting to run and just that was what I excelled at too at the time too and then I think going further after the race I just wanted to keep competing too and I was really enjoying it too I mean some people you know it's just a milestone that like oh I ran a marathon and that's what I wanted to do which is great too I mean marathon participation in the U.S. has just been rising every year Mm -hmm. too so it's really good for the races and just really good for you know fitness for everyone just a better mindset now yeah too but uh i think going further I, originally moving to colorado my passion was mountain climbing mm-hmm. and running enabled 
mountain climbing, just better fitness, better mm-hmm. cardio. And the first, one of the first 14 or 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado, there's 58 of them. One of the, I think my third one, it was Gray's, I see a lady running up and down the mountain. And I think this lady is crazy. And then now I'm in that position where people look at me and they're like, that guy is crazy. That's the thing that like trips me out anytime I'm in Colorado or hiking on a trail. You see old people. They're old people and they mm-hmm. run, they fly past you on the trail everywhere. They're not out of breath. They're not, you know, it's just a, it's like a walk in the park, but they're moving really quickly. You know, mm-hmm. it is, it is like a, it's like a new zero. Like when you go up to Colorado, it's like, okay, this is baseline here, you know, like, and it's well above, you know, at least my fitness level, you know, typically those people are crushing and, mm-hmm. and I can't even hang with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So going up to Colorado, you originally went to Boulder. Is that right? Or, um, I actually lived in Boulder for a few weeks while I was finding an apartment and cat sat for my friends oh, and nice. uh, just commuted every day, but, uh, then found an apartment. So I lived in Greeley for about three years mm. there and then, Moved to Mesa Verde National Park and then uh, worked there for a season and then got a job offer in um, Aspen, Colorado, which nice. has some, in my opinion, some of the best mountain running and also mountain climbing kind of in the continental U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is definitely, well, like Colorado just in general for mountain sports is a mecca mm-hmm. because not only is it, ha- does it have the terrain, but it has people with the mindset of keeping everything clean and keeping all the trails broken and keeping everything pristine, you know, so definitely that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge factor. Yeah. The trail maintenance up there is just unbelievable, but the trail maintenance in Powder Canyon too is just unbelievable. Oh yeah. Yeah. The mountain bikers down there really, really do a lot of work. It seems particular in the mountain biking community. Like they, Mm -hmm. they really cut a lot of the trails and take care of them quite, quite nicely. Um, so what is it about like distance that attracts you? I think there's just, um, say linking up peaks in, uh, Colorado, just climbing. There's a bunch of things that just, you know, normally hiking that you just cannot link up if you're not running and moving just fast, fast Mm -hmm. and efficiently too, to where it's just really enticing to go out there and kind of do you know, this like forbidden trail run that you shouldn't be able to link up all these peaks or you shouldn't be able to go this far and just come back in time for dinner at the house. Yeah. So it's kind of the uh, personal challenge with that too. And just getting out on the distance too. There's just some amazing times that I've been able to get out on a run for the day up in the mountains and just see some amazing scenery that just ordinarily wouldn't be able to see it one day well it's funny because i i was looking at your instagram and it's like you you know it's it's quick like you're you're posting like three pictures from one afternoon out or Mm -hmm. one you know and it's like dude this was an adventure this dude was on an adventure you know and he he wakes up out of his bed and then he goes to bed in his in his bed Mm -hmm. you know and he has in the middle there's like this huge adventure of hitting all these peaks and riding your bike to different trailheads and all this different stuff. It's like, uh, I don't know, man. It just seems like a freedom. Like, uh, that, that's what like distance for me. You know, I've all, like, I want to run a little bit further and I want to do these, you know, and that's like the attraction is just Mm -hmm. dude, being able 
to physically know that you can go 50 miles. I mean, that has to be like a liberating like feeling, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it is nice knowing that you can do that, but I don't think you can rely, rely on it every single day, too, because obviously sometimes your body just isn't performing at peak. Yeah. And you just have to know when to cut your losses and say, today isn't the day up in the peaks. Because if you're running around the mountains and just in the middle of a wilderness area and it's not your day, it's going to be a pretty harsh hobble back mm. to the uh, trailhead yeah. so you know while you can do it it's always with a lot of respect and caution in the mountains too yeah you gotta you can't you don't want to get spanked you don't want to <laughs> get spanked in the mountains that's what yeah. i'm playing <laughs> you, you don't want to spend a night out that you weren't expecting yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> so what it, what's the common reaction whenever uh whenever people find out that you're an ultra runner like what do you have like a common reaction like do most people are they like oh you know is it like a like a revelry or is it like what it's a little bit different um between like up in colorado versus sometimes here where people aren't as familiar with it here and i think most of our friends up in the mountains just kind of know someone that runs uh that distance so up there they'll it's normally a connection of like oh do you know this person and being in a small town up there usually you do mm -hmm. too if you don't know them personally you know of them too and then down here people are normally like wow that was a that must have been quite the bike ride yeah and uh yeah, yeah it's just a little bit different that um just not as many trail ultras down here uh -huh. too that people realize yeah that's crazy man because that's like even which granted i don't do miles I or you know i do half half marathon distances and stuff and and even whenever i talk to people about the half marathon distance they're like oh what oh i could never do that like that's that's the the reaction it seems like a lot of people always say is like they're quick to jump at their own limitations mm -hmm. and say no i could never do that mm -hmm. you know it's kind of yeah. it's like a weird it's a weird response sometimes you know and everyone has different hobbies, too. This just happens to be, you know, a shared hobby that we have that um, we both find fun. Some people mm -hmm. would find it being torturous. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, if everyone just, if everyone wanted to be a trail runner, the trails would be very crowded. If everyone wanted to be a golfer, you could never get a tee time, too. Yeah. So it's just interesting um, just how sometimes you come across the hobbies that you enjoy, too, and... Just a passion in life, too, that there's no right or wrong. It's just a different passion. And, you know, just every unique person has their own passions in life as well. Yeah, too. yeah. It is kind of one of those things you always have to... Uh, Instagram is really bad about this for me because you you see people who are, like, the best at what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And that's their main thing. But then the next person you see is doing something completely different. So it's like you're scrolling through and you see an ultra runner and then a black belt jujitsu guy and then an artist and it's yeah. like golly i should be running further i should be doing martial arts and i should be painting you know like it, it like almost like you almost internalize it like everybody is doing these all of these amazing things you know whenever really mm -hmm. people are focused in and doing you know one amazing thing typically you know? mm -hmm. that's pretty cool so um how do you train oh i've definitely made some mistakes before and the first to admit that. And it's always kind of just tinkering with what works for you and finding out what works best. Back whenever I was first getting into marathon running, I just really did a lot more track work and more specific for road marathon races mm. where you need to run a little bit faster and it doesn't matter if you can run 
uphill at a certain pace or downhill at a certain pace. It's about maintaining just a steady, constant pace on flat road. So that was a little bit different. And I guess now um, one mistake that I made early on was just um, overtraining, which looking back now, it's like, wow, how did I not realize that I was just running myself into the ground? Almost kind of like an obsessive compulsive desire just to run mm. and thinking if you run more, you're going to run faster, which isn't always true. You just have to really give your body time to rest and recover. And that's as important as the workout almost. So I was just running myself into the ground sometimes doing, oh, at one point did like 140 mile a week that I just didn't recover from and just didn't give myself the time to recover from that 140 mile week. Even after I realized I made a mistake, I was always kind of antsy to get back to uh, running. Yeah. So just always started back a little too soon. And that was a um, big mistake. Man, that's what got me. I feel like with my knee, I was coming back. I'd run seven miles and then I went down. My grandma passed away, so we had a funeral down in South Texas, 10 and a half hour drive. Sorry to hear that. Oh, um, yeah. It's, she was she had lived a great life and she was older, you know, mm -hmm. like that's the thing. It's kind of a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways. But um, so we, we drive 10 and a half hours down there. It's a lot of family stuff, not very active, 10 and a half hours back. The next day, I'm antsy. I'm like, I got to get out. And then instead of listening to my body, I was just like, no, I have to have an eight mile run. Mm -hmm. Like I just have to, you know? And, and then it's at what, I guess two miles in my hip tightens up and then I run through it, finish the run and I'm out for two months. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, it was like, instead of being smart and instead of thinking, no, like you're hips bothering you chill out like you know mm -hmm. then you could have continued with the training but in, instead i like knuckled down on that one day and i ruined my training for the rest of granted it wasn't 140 mile week did you say week that was a mistake and that was one week yeah just a couple of uh long runs grouped together um just working kind of more seasonally in a ski town too uh -huh. once the ski season closes i had the opportunity to take um decent amount of time off so ran a 50 mile race took the next day off and then just tried to hammer out like 16 18 mile days for a week straight and it was just looking back it's like man i don't know what i was hoping to gain from that yeah. other than just running myself into the ground but, um, yeah, now it's been um, taking a little bit of a step back and just kind of started easing in, running two days a week after I got off of the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. Just eased back into it because my body was totally wrecked. So and now you, you kind of bump over that pretty <laughs> quickly, the, the Pacific Crest Trail? Yes. So how many miles was that? Uh, that was uh, 2,700 miles from Mexico to Canada. And how fast did you do that? It was about uh, just shy of four months, too. Wow. It was a 200% uh, snowpack year in the Sierras, so it was a lot of snow, uh, more than most years that you encounter, and you're carrying everything in a backpack uh -huh. with you, so at times your backpack is weighing, depending how much food you're carrying, uh, 20 to 30 pounds. And sometimes you go 10 days without crossing a road to wow. the Sierras. So uh, that took about four months of just continual hiking most days with 
just the very rare rested. And now all these this solo did that solo? I was solo on the trail, although you do run into other hikers a lot too, mm -hmm. which is fun. Uh, you make friends, you keep running into the same people, and then through the Sierras we would team up and just pretty much form basically a team that said, okay, we're going through this together and helping each other out because it was so dangerous on the river crossings too. Yeah. And then also the route finding was very difficult that sometimes it was nice to have two sets of eyes just yeah, trying to spot sure. the trail or what should be the trail under about like five or six feet of snow. Yeah. Whew. Five <laughs> or six feet of snow? Five or six. Yeah. Wow. There were just areas, um, like I said, just record snowfall in the Sierra Nevada mountains that it was fun going through pictures from years past because um, Outside Magazine, I believe, posted an article about how dangerous the PCT was that year. And my um, girlfriend at the time, now wife, sent me the uh, picture of the, uh, or a picture of the picture in Outside Magazine. And it was on Forrester Pass showing people crossing on a prominent snowbank that is there every year. And I just kind of laughed at it because I was like, that was from last year and sent her a picture back of it. And the snow that we were crossing um, in the picture from a previous year was kind of like shin deep. And we were reaching over heads to get like proper ice axe placement. Oh my to gosh. To just anchor ourselves into the snow there. Jeez. So now, okay, so this, uh, well, I guess let's stay with, because I got all those written down. Um, I want to talk to you about each of these different, like, it seems like you've had several different um uh, phases. Well, yeah, 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 almost expeditions, it seems like, you know? Do you want to bump back to uh, just training really quick well, yeah, and yeah, wrap let's, up that one? Yeah, let's, uh, so how do you how do you balance mm -hmm. work, wife, and training? Mm -hmm. I guess uh, just back to training really quick, just right now kind of listening more to my body, and if I'm tired, I don't force myself to go out on a run. Mm. Sometimes I'll take two days off between runs and just find that I'm really rested and recovered too and it's been good i mean versus six years ago uh five six years ago just running faster times now even though i'm you know six years older at this yeah. point too so that's been um very eye-opening just by listening to your body and taking time to rest recover just how much of a difference it can make even as you age too yeah yeah so you feel stronger now than you did when you were a young, younger guy, I guess. Huh? Yeah, I think it's just more, you know, instead of just training with your legs, just sometimes training with your brain on it too, just training smarter. Yeah, so um, how many, like, how many miles do you shoot for each week? Do you have a, do you have like a ballpark? No, I kind of stopped keeping track of it. Um, just try to get in a few key runs that um, have a few that I can do on a daily basis right from my house mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. are kind of a good measure on my run, um, just fitness-wise, because I time those. And just a good baseline on am I continuing to improve or if I see a drastic drop-off in the time, it's like, okay, I need to take two days off. Yeah. And so that's been really helpful. And then try to get, always get in one long run per day, not per day, per week too. And sometimes that varies between like a faster, like 10 to 13 mile run, or if I have the right schedule with time off from work and other commitments that if I can get out in the mountains, sometimes that could be up to about 30 miles. But oh. those, you know, um, 30 mile run like that really takes about a week to recover from and then really about 
10, 12 days before you can kind of expect to see the uh, fruit from. The, really? Yeah. So you're playing, it's a long game. Like everything about distance running is like, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking weeks out kind of almost. Yeah. Just uh, physiologically, you're not seeing the benefits of a run until about 10 days later. Ooh. So that's why the taper, you know, the last 10 days before your half marathon or uh-huh. marathon all you can really do is just maintain fitness. You can do a lot more harm than good by just running yourself into the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how do you do? You, have you had very many injuries, like running injuries? I've been really fortunate. Uh, in high school, I had a stress fracture, and then um, you know that healed in a boot. And then I've had a few had tendonitis in one knee that was just an overuse injury uh, whenever I was first running, whenever I lived in Greeley. Mm. And that took about one month off from running, I think. And then other than that, I've had broke my ankle once just um, running what would be the easiest easiest, uh, hill in Aspen called Smuggler. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was kind of embarrassing because my friends were like, where did you break your ankle? Expecting this epic story. And it's like, I broke it on Smuggler. And like, <laughs> really? What? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh-huh. So, uh, well, do you do active prevention for, like, do you, like, what do you do to try to prevent injuries? Do you? Taking time stretch is really important and i think for a while i would just you know on time crunch just not take the extra Mm -hmm. like seven eight minutes to properly stretch and i've noticed a big difference with that too just feeling a little bit more fresh and then i think just injury prevention too um it's kind of nice just having a natural like running gait that like lends itself to striking more uh four foot Mm-hmm. Too, instead of on the heel to where you're just transferring the energy up and you right. need to hit there yeah. too. So it's more just kind of running with a natural stride and using your body's natural shock absorbers. And then just, like I said, injury prevention, you should most overuse injuries be able to prevent uh, before they happen yeah, just by yeah, just, being smart about yeah, it. Yeah, being, being a, a responsible participant mm-hmm. so do you have any uh like what do you do for motivation like how is it just the fact that it's so fun is that what keeps you hammering or uh we were talking about this earlier just seeing the scenery up there is always fun too and i think living in a place with different seasons it's kind of fun to see it you know you can do a run early in the spring whenever there's still snow on the peaks do it peak summer whenever it's full green mm-hmm. and then go back up and do the same run in the fall too and just see the color change. So I think that's helpful for motivation. And then there are just days when you're not motivated. Some days you just have to push through that and uh, do the workout. But if it's something that if you're really not motivated at times or for a stretch of time, just kind of realizing that you're burned out, which, mm. you know, happens to a lot of people in the sport because it's such a time commitment. And as we were talking, kind of balancing other aspects of life too. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's kind of funny too, because it happens in everything, you know, mm-hmm. like being able to recognize the signs and symptoms of being burned out is something that's so under emphasized in our culture and in our society, you know, like, uh, you know, it's almost like I've always felt, We'll give 60%, 
mm-hmm. all the time instead of giving a hundred percent you know a very small amount of time it's almost like a, it's almost like the grind you know like they want you just to always be participating in mm-hmm. I don't know exactly if it's live or if it's if it's what's the deal you know but so that's pretty cool so I definitely could imagine being up in Colorado just the mountains themselves just the the formation of it is kind of a motivational thing in itself huh yeah there's just the trail system up there is so good and just being you know um peak climber there's so many different peaks to climb to Uh that uh there's just kind of um i always say there's just a lifetime of exploration right outside my back door up there too yeah dang okay so um let's see oh and like what you got any like running hacks you got anything that like Get well. You've always been a runner, it seems like. But like mm-hmm. for me, it was like listening to podcasts. You know, mm-hmm. like kind of got me to where you know I could go a little bit longer because I was needing to finish an episode or something like that. But do you mm-hmm. have any tricks? Oh, I think like we've discussed, just listening to your body. And sometimes, you know, on Instagram, you're probably going to be following someone that's you know, uh, spends an unproportional amount of their time running. Mm. And that just doesn't work for everybody, too. That uh, a lot of the people you follow on Instagram are professional runners Mm -hmm. that just, you know, that is their job to run. So you can't be out there with them training for 20 to 30 hours per week. I think one easy hack, though, is that everyone just focuses on pounding the miles, whereas uh, lifting weights... Uh, really can help with your form and strengthen muscle groups that are uh, weak as well too and then also doing just core exercises helps too okay so do you have do you have like a weight routine that you also do or more so in the winter whenever my mileage kind of drops down I try to get out um, skiing more um, obviously just living up there and then um, you can also skin up a mountain which is uh, you basically have a specialized ski setup where you um, can put, they're called skins on the bottom of your skis. Mm-hmm. They allow the ski to slide up, but not slide down. They're called skins because they, uh, historically were made from seal skins, but mm-hmm. now they're made from nylon, etc. Yeah. And it just grips the snow and basically you walk up the ski slope. And that's a great way to balance muscles and also build really good climbing muscles yeah. for running in the spring, all the while having very low impact. So I think cross-training, I mean, it doesn't seem like a running quote-unquote hack, but it is too, Ooh, just yeah. because you can get stronger and strengthen other muscle groups through right. it too, and it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. dude, yeah. If it's well, not fun, I mean, you yeah. know, you just can't expect to get out there and do it. And then I guess just more so from a fitness hack too, you know, always have people, some people will ask, you know, oh, I want to get better at running, but I hate running. And if I think if you're trying to focus on your one workout on or your yeah, your one workout that you want to do on something you don't like, it's just mm. not sustainable to where I think you could incorporate running, say, you know, as one of your workouts of the week. But, you know, find something that you enjoy and it's not going to feel like work. Right, right. Nice. Yeah, it was. There's a huge uh, like flip over. Or is it flip over? I don't exactly know what the right term for that would be. Whenever I I went from, it seemed like the three to four mile range, and then flipping over to like the seven to eight to ten, those higher miles, mm-hmm. there was like an, a different type of enjoyment that happens like 
you know, if you run three or four miles, you're running too hard to really get to where you're relaxed. Mm-hmm. But once you start running those longer distances, you run differently. You you think differently about even the run, you know. And it, it's, it is kind of strange. Like, um, I actually wrote a blog post about that a while back. Like, but I hate running, you know. Well, the reason I started running was because I hated running. I wanted to do something. I wanted – I was so mad that I'd see all these people doing and just being really good runners. It's like, I, I should be able to run. You know, I don't have any excuses. You know, I don't have any limitations. But it is one of those things like as soon as you start enjoying the activity, then it's almost like I get to go run instead of I have to go run. And it's a mm-hmm. lot easier to make yourself do that. So uh, what kind of diet do you run? Do you, you got like a you got like a strict diet or you do whatever? I've just found that I feel better whenever I eat healthy and um, personally I'm just vegetarian. I feel better whenever I do that and just um, more kind of ethically and sustainable too with 7 billion people on the earth. Yeah. Um, you know, agriculture and the energy put into that is a big factor too. So, um, and just personally, I feel better whenever I'm doing that, both from an athletic performance standpoint and then just personally for yeah. reasons. Yeah. Nice, man. Have you uh, kept up at all with lab grown meat with that whole advancement? I haven't seen it because I think it's still just at the stages. Of course, I've read the articles on it, mm-hmm. but uh, it's just at the point to where it's still not financially feasible. Yeah, they, I hit. think they had like the first burger of lab-grown meat was like like one point five million dollar, mm-hmm. like for like just a little burger or something. It's like that's an expensive burger, you know. Yeah, I think it's down to like you know ten fifteen thousand dollars per burger, mm-hmm. but that's uh. Very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> still still has a lot way to go, but it is interesting, you know. Whenever you start factoring in, not only you know you start factoring in other things other than just health or taste, and you start looking at like a moralistic or responsible way of of you know, and, and it's almost blasphemy in the middle of Amarillo, Texas. Yeah. You know, we're in like cattle country, <laughs> uh-huh. so you know, we almost got to say it make sure we say it quietly so yeah, nobody hears it. So the it, neighbors but. don't hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, it's, uh, you know, I think kind of with that and so many of the other subjects that we've touched on today, you know, it's not an all or nothing endeavor too. Mm-hmm. You can definitely have a meal without any meat in it, but you know, for most people, that's not what they want to do every meal too. So, you know, there's just that moderation in between. And a lot of times the answer lies in the middle. How long have you been a uh, vegan? Uh, just vegetarian. I still oh, vegetarian. Eat, yeah, uh, eat a lot of eggs actually, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, have a um, actual egg share. We have a farm right below us that. Oh, uh, nice! Every week I ride down, get a dozen eggs, and uh, ride my bike back up to the house, and those are my eggs for the week. So nice. It's kind of cool. Also, you know, talking about sustainability, just having that that you know the eggs aren't basically trucked in from. Iowa or something right. over to Colorado. So you're saving a lot of mileage that and energy used on transporting mm-hmm. the eggs just by supporting the local farm there mm. down below too. And uh, really, you know, touching back on Amarillo too, um, worked at the um, Cimarron Organics Farm out in River Road when oh, I was in college. And so that was uh, with uh, Ronnie and Jeff Kimbrell. So that was kind of where my knowledge and kind of... So that's where that connection comes from? That's where the connection comes from, yeah. And they were always talking about some crazy race called Leadville. And that's where I got to know that race up Mm. there. Yeah, Yeah, Jeff's a crazy man, you know? (laughs) Like, that's one of the really cool things, uh, 
you know, I get I didn't really realize it at the time, but there a lot of firemen are crazy. They're just crazy individuals, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there's several guys that have completed the Leadville that well, Jeff, I think Jeff did the the full hundred, didn't he? Or did he Yeah, he's done um the hundred uh he's done the bike ride several times. Yeah. He's done like the fifty up there too. Yeah, yeah, nice. And then that Troy Waller. Do you know who Troy Waller? I know is? Troy. He he did uh he's in the thousand mile club. He's done the mountain bike ride, uh he's done it ten times. Wow. Um So he's got the big buckle. Yeah, he yeah. got that big buckle. <laughs> but it's just it's cool, you know, you meet these guys and at first you just assume and then there's another one, Jason Mays, he he mm-hmm. completed the hundred miler and um running. And then actually this year Randall Keys just completed the Leadville mountain bike ride. So you know, it's kind of funny because you see these guys in the morning and, you know, sometimes you just assume that they're normal people. And then you mm-hmm. realize, wow, they're not, these are not normal people. You know, some of these guys are very extreme, you know, and can yeah. do these like crazy things. So that's pretty cool, man. So like, it's interesting how worlds like overlap like that. You know, you've got these extreme endurance events, but then it also, do you feel like that contributes to viewing the world in like a more moralistic way or like consequential way or do you, do you think that 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 the maybe the commitment it takes to mm-hmm. be a long distance athlete makes you commit in other ways of your life yeah i think just living up there and seeing all of the nature up there and realizing how special of a place it is too mm-hmm. makes you want to commit to um you know just kind of trying to reduce your impact where possible and, you know, feasible too. Mm. And then I think it also does serve for um, just commitment and being able just to see a job done through correctly in other areas of life too. Mm. Nice, man. So um, this, uh, the 50 miler is Mm -hmm. one of many extremes for you. So I was like looking at your Instagram and actually, I think this is whenever I started following you on Instagram. You were riding from Amarillo to Aspen on your bike? On my bike this uh, past May. Past too. May. Mm-hmm. How many days did that take you? It took about four and a half days. That's uh, it? Going up there, yeah. Wow. And uh, so basically on my bicycle, had all of my um, camping gear on it. And then obviously going from... 3,000, 3,600 feet here in Amarillo, all the way I topped out at a little bit over 12,000 feet on Independence Pass. So mm-hmm. I was carrying a um, carrying a down puppy jacket, beanie, gloves, rain jacket, full rain pants, just basically prepared for any weather that I mm-hmm. met in there. So altogether, I think before food, I was carrying about 18 pounds of gear on the bike too. Dang. So, yeah. So how was that, man? Like, was that a pretty fun trip or... Yeah, it was fun. Um, surprisingly, didn't have an, as many run-ins with cars as I thought I would. And then just a little bit of impromptu, just, you know, uh, looked at a general route that I wanted to take through that I felt was safe and feasible. And just whenever I started making better time than what I anticipated, I was hoping to make 110 to 20 mile days and ended up riding closer to 145 miles per day. So I was able, able to detour and go through Taos mm-hmm. a little bit. I saw I get, that. We, what yeah. was that? What is that, uh, that breakfast? Michael's? Yeah. Did you eat some Michael's while you were riding through? Or? I had Michael's, and then I actually got one of their cinnamon rolls and strapped it onto my handlebars <laughs> for later, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, nice. I was probably burning through about, like, 
probably 8,000 calories a day Whoa. at that point too. So it's yeah. pretty much like you can at that point it's just calories. You're just anything mm-hmm. you throw in is just being burned instantly. It doesn't even matter almost what it is, right? Yeah, you can throw in a, you know, cinnamon roll the size of your face yeah. in there and still just, you know, <laughs> be fine. That's pretty funny. That that's like one of the benefits, right? To being uh, an ultra distance athlete. Mm-hmm. It's like literally you can eat anything you want. Definitely, you know, feel better whenever I'm eating healthy and eating right too. But mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, it's pizza and a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Um, so let's see. You've got that long distance on biking, hiking. You've done the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the other like long through hikes? You have you done any other long through hikes? No, I haven't. Um, I guess just doing the. Um, all 58 of the Colorado 14ers. Oh, you've done all 58. All 58. And then uh, that took about two years. Yeah. And thought I would move back to Texas after I did that. But just kind of, you know, the draw of Colorado was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And just uh, the longer I stayed up there, the more roots I grew down. To stay oh, yeah, to. dude. I couldn't imagine. I mean, that would be... I love Amarillo. Uh, but man, it'd be really difficult to leave the mountains. I mm-hmm. mean, just visiting, it's difficult to leave the mountains. I couldn't imagine living yeah. there, you know, especially after you establish some roots, you know, you get some friends, mm-hmm. get a community. Um, so when you go running, do you ever run like with other people? It's, I would say probably 99% of my training is just by myself and, uh, just working kind of an odd work schedule up in the mountains, which people just kind of piece together work up there too Mm -hmm. and uh you know how it is on the fire department your schedule is just yeah different than everyone's like nine to five normal but uh i do definitely have some friends up there that whenever schedules match up it's a lot of fun to get out in the mountains together and just really kind of push each other too Mm. and just some of the conversations you know we've had on a ridge line at thirteen thousand feet scrambling up peaks is uh just always interesting too and you always just meet interesting people up in the mountains too yeah that's hilarious man so um let's see here i'm trying to remember i it's kind of funny because we've bounced around most of my notes (laughs) so i'm not really sure stream of thought yeah Yeah. i'm not really sure where where we're at but that's pretty cool so you come down to do this event every year no, it's uh, just kind of right before the start of ski season. I try to come down and see family because it's oh, just yeah. harder to travel back down. Mm-hmm. And always great to spend time here with family and friends in Amarillo. And just um, kind of planned it around to where one of the days I could do the race. And yeah. then the days after the race, it's nice because you're just tired. And yeah. You just want to sit on the recliner and just spend time with family. Yeah. yeah. It's such a different... I feel like pace of life in Amarillo versus Colorado because like one of the big one of the obvious differences is like the just trails mm-hmm. and the biking trails so like up there are you mostly on your bike in the winter I normally um take the bus into work and then um in the summer I try to bike into work it's about seven miles from our house each way too and uh had to give that up in the spring because I was just uh seeing an unproportional amount of bear scat on the trail and I was riding home at night so with a headlamp so just kind of realized that eventually you know I've had a pretty good run this summer no wildlife run-ins while I was riding my bike home from work and just realized to go ahead and end that on a high note (laughs) yeah it's kind of like you don't want to push your luck too much like you don't want to get to those extremes you know Mm -hmm. yeah 
So that's cool. So what uh, what else draws you to Colorado other than the mountains? Is there culturally? I mean, because it's very di- like you go from which I don't know. Is it Republican up there? It's um, it kind of varies yeah, in it areas goes back too. And forth. Yeah, mountains are definitely more liberal. Front range, the cities are liberal, but the suburbs are more conservative. Too. Okay, so yeah, I didn't know if like you know culturally it seems. It just seems different, you know, like, it, mm-hmm. you know, you got one up there. It seems is it blue state. Is it blue or is it kind of go back and forth? I would say purple, but starting to shift more blue up there too. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of crazy, man. Like it's so close. Like Colorado is so close mm-hmm. to Texas, but it does. It has just a completely different feel from going into Denver, going into Boulder, going into all these different little places. It's just a different, you know, I don't know. There's just something viscerally that feels mm-hmm. different. I don't know if it's the plains versus the mountains. You know, I, I don't know. What's it? My take on it is just with the mountain ridges and, of course, just with modern travel that's kind of been broken down a little bit. But you would have towns just 30 miles as the crow flies that were just so different just because, mm. you know, traveling back in the old mining days it would be several days hike or horse ride over to the uh, different areas. So I think there's just a bunch of just different uh, little microcosms in the towns there that they're just so different just because the mountains are just such a great barrier on separating them there too. And you got a lot of like independent, like especially up in the mountains, you got an independent mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Like each person's like, no, this is... This is me. I survive on my own almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's wild, man. So, and you said you went to school in Austin? Went to school in Austin. What'd you go to school for? Uh, Marketing and economics. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. What was the, you said you were a numbers guy. Is it, is that the economics side? Yeah, numbers guy. And then uh, really enjoyed kind of the quantitative marketing point too, to where, you know, you have research data, um, just based on sales and what items are selling whenever you place them where and just different other studies and just crunching the numbers to actually put some data to where like, well, we know we're selling more of these um, because we're ordering more, but why is it too? Uh. And kind of looking at the uh, customer insight view of it as well too. Wow. So um, what were you wanting to do with, with like that degree? Did you have like specifics after college, you know, like, Yeah, I was just um, originally hoping to just work in a marketing role for a company there. And then the uh, recession hit right when I graduated. So you could either, uh, companies could gamble on hiring someone fresh out of college with a degree but no work experience. Or they could hire someone with, you know, four to six years work experience for basically the same salary because... uh, Marketing jobs were hard to find, but yeah. you know, um, you can look at it on the downside there or at the upside on that's how I moved to Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's kind of always one of those things like in the moment you, you can't judge if something is a good or a bad thing that happened to you. You know, it's always like a after like, or hindsight, you have to look back on it and see, okay, was that good for me then? Or was that good for me? Or is it bad for me? Mm-hmm. Then, you know? And yeah. yeah, now it's like, dang, you're running up in the mountains and you're living in Aspen. Like, it went right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely took, um, you know, work and just some luck with it too. And then just, uh, you know, working hard towards something that you wanted to achieve too. Yeah. 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 How old are you? 31. 31. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just turned 30. Did that mess with you any? Like hitting the 30 mark? 
It did, yeah. Psychologically, uh, just kind of the 29 to 30, although you don't wake up feeling different. Yeah. It's just kind of a, it's a big milestone in life, I feel like, too. But um, 30s so far, I know I'm on the beginning stage of them, but I've always heard people say it's one of the most fun decades in your life. And yeah. so far, that's held true. When you're getting, you're getting stronger, right? You still feel like you're improving and growing and changing, like... Yeah, I think so. Um, just physically through running and climbing, um, performing better than I did just by training smarter. And then I think just as a person too. It's like, uh, it's always one of those things like you, you a sub 25 year old male has a lot of physical potential, but they're dumb, you know, <laughs> like, it, and it's like, there's like a, it's like a, there's a part of the brain that hasn't been flipped on yet. Mm-hmm. Cause now that I'm 30, I don't think I'm necessarily in better shape than I was whenever I was 25, but if I fought the 25 version, 25 year old version of myself, like in a fist fight or even, a, you know, anything <laughs> almost, I'll beat him, you know, because yeah. I'm smarter now, you know, it's a weird, it's like a weird uh, dichotomy, I guess, you know, like you, you, your body maybe falls off a little bit. It doesn't requ- recover as quickly, but your brain is so much, you know, smarter that it makes up for that you know, difference, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know. I'm still trying to process it, too. Yeah, as far as endurance, too, I mean, um, my peak speed is definitely, uh, taking it back to running, my peak speed is definitely tailed off, and I can reala- realizing just um, that, you know, can't run the same mile, um, pace per mile, like an all-out just one-mile sprint that I did at 25, but mm. you can sustain even to where I feel like my 5K time could be faster than it was at that time right now too just because endurance doesn't fall off as much as just maximum heart rate and speed too so that's always one of the things that's been interesting to me i was thinking about it and i jotted it down over here was um like whenever you're in high school they're training you to be one type of athlete and then it seems like the ultra world is dominated by older athletes mm-hmm. in different mindsets. You know, like it's a completely different mindset than like the high school version of, uh, you know. So one of my questions was going to be like, did in high school, did you, def- granted it sounds like you were a great runner, but did you define yourself as, a, as an athlete? I really enjoyed it and worked hard at it, but, um, you know, just wasn't as focused as I would say that I was now, too. You know, just being in high school would stay up late playing video games or hanging out with friends instead mm-hmm. of being like, you know, I probably before this race should go to bed early and get a good weeks of rest leading up to the race. It yeah. was just kind of one of those <laughs> ideas that it's like, why am I like staying up till like 1 a.m. watching movies whenever I like obviously didn't have like the um, athlete's mindset back then? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it's so frustrating thinking back on how many like <laughs> hundreds of hours of sleep I missed mm-hmm. for nothing just yeah. because I didn't feel like going to bed. It's like, what now? Like with a two year old and married and a job and everything, it's just like, I love sleep. It's mm-hmm. like, man. The quicker I can get to bed, the better, you know. But whenever I was a kid, it was like, no, I'm just going to stay up for no reason, you know. And then you, you completely shot the next day and everything. And Maturing is nice. Maturity is nice. Yeah. Maturity is nice. So what, what's, uh, what are your plans? What are your aspirations? You got some, like, some projections for the next couple of years? You got some goals? 
Yeah, I guess as far as um, just being a newlywed, you know, spending uh, time with my wife, and we love traveling Dude, too. Dude, great answer, man. Mm-hmm. Great answer. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a uh, really fun. Although you know, it's only a couple month journey as a newlywed right now. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, brought a lot more balance into life too. And just a lot more companionship, too. So we're having a lot of fun traveling, uh, seeing a lot of new places in the world that I don't think by myself alone would have had the uh, courage to just book a ticket to like yeah. this foreign country, too. And just a little bit more uh, balance. I've been to a lot more art museums lately than I have in the past, nice. which is a lot of fun, too. And something that just, you know, being... Um, at the time, being like a single guy, I probably wouldn't have on a vacation sought out like an art museum, but it's been a lot of fun. So that's one goal for my wife and I is to travel more, and we uh, hopefully we'll do some bike packing trips together. Nice. And then we've talked about hopefully climbing Denali. Oh, and okay. then a couple of steps we need to take before that, taking um, crevasse rescue classes, and then uh, getting some experience on higher and glaciated peaks, such mm. as uh, Pico de Orizaba in Mexico, and then uh, Mount Rainier in um, the Cascades. Okay. Nice. So working towards that, um, hopefully entering the lottery to run Leadville again next year okay. too, and hopefully carrying over um, the smarter training plan over to that race. So have you done a hundred miler? I've done Leadville twice. Oh, you've done, you've done the 100 mile or twice? Mm -hmm. Damn. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> See, you're hiding it. You're hiding it from me. Well, if you wear the belt buckle on, like, the small of a frame, it just looks a little weird. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So how was that, man? How was, the, how was that whole experience? The first time that I ran it was 2013, um, the same year I uh, did the Boston Marathon, and just felt very fortunate to finish because I'd never run a race over 50 miles before. And I do think I had overtrained at that point, and I had lost too much weight too, to where uh, focusing on trying to eat to where I can keep more weight on now, because just to get to a point to where I was just too thin and uh, just running too many miles to keep weight on. Not that I was conscientiously trying to lose weight, but right, just right. running that many miles, you just can't keep it on. So you have to focus on getting more fats and stuff. So I felt very fortunate to finish that race. A uh, good friend, Ryan Kimbrell, actually drove 16 hours up from Austin to uh, Leadville, Colorado to help me with that race. So yeah. felt very fortunate to have friends that just whenever all of my crew at the last minute kind of fell apart that he came up to help me there. Nice. And then 2016 ran the race again, and we already talked about kind of overtraining there with the 140-mile uh -huh. week. Uh -huh. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a slow learner on some of those things uh -huh. that keep making the same mistakes. But, uh, yeah, um, I actually tried to drop out at mile 70 because I had kind of lofty hopes for the race that I wanted. And whenever I wasn't running the race that I wanted, you know, I tried to... Um, I just kind of realized, tried to cut my losses, me like, oh, I'm going to drop out. And fortunately, once again, had a really good crew that just came up at the last minute to help me there with uh, David Bowman and Mariana Inslee. And they just, you know, were up at 3.30 in the morning getting ready to help me. And then there until I finished around 2 a.m. And uh, they actually locked me out of the car and said, we'll see you at the next aid station. And at the next aid station, they kind of saw the look in my eye that I was hoping to drop off the race again, too. And that was about 13 miles from the finish, and it was really painful at that point. And they locked me out of the car again. And I finally saw them seven miles before the finish and just kind of waved them off. Just And they knew at that point that I was just kind of walking it in and finishing. So 
Oh, so you walked it? You finished the finished it out walking? Like where you? Yeah, I, surprisingly, like some of those mountain runs. Of course, you're walking on the uphills just to conserve energy and mm-hmm. conserve just your muscles. And then there's certain points, the low points in the race that you're walking to. So you know, a lot of people hear like a hundred mile run. It's not a hundred mile, like you're not running all 100 miles. You're definitely, you know, power hiking some of it yeah. too. Just conservation. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And that's, so, um, I imagine, granted, I imagine at, you know, a marathon distance I'd be hurting, but like, what is the type of pain at, at 80 miles? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's hurting, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's hurting at 80 miles. Yeah. It's, um... For me, it was mostly kind of knee pain at that point, so I don't know if that was, uh, some of it probably stemmed from just wearing super minimal shoes, which I think were kind of a running fad for a while, mm-hmm. but then um, you've just run more than what your body's designed to run at that point. Too. Right. So, um, yeah, it was um, just kind of joint pain, and then your muscles at that point are just toast, too. So, do you feel injured, like, the, at that point? Are you, like, what, what's the difference between just hurting because you're at eight, 80 miles and, like, an injury? It's more just kind of like shuffling feet. You just, you can't take a full stride, you know? Everything is just kind of compressed on your running and then your movement just isn't as efficient too and then it's on trails so there's rocks on the trails that you're just kind of at that point clumsy and you're just tripping and catching your toe on uh, rocks and that's just wasting energy every time you have to like just use a spout of energy just to uh you know keep yourself upright versus falling on the ground yeah i'm tripping so what 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 is it that makes you want to continually do those? Like, what is it that brings you back to that distance? And I think just being on the Leadville course, uh, it's a special race too. And, um, I've always really liked Leadville area too. And, um, just the convenience that it's pretty close to the house. But I think just knowing that I haven't um, executed what I feel like is a good race of Mm. what I'm close to being capable of there yet too. Mm. But of course, you know, just feel fortunate, um, feel fortunate to have finished twice too, because people try all the time to finish and just unfortunately, you know, some people just try and try, but don't. So it's just, uh, you know, being a little bit of the nitpicky perfectionist there. Like, (laughs) well, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Well, and, and like, anytime I hear somebody like say something like that, like basically you're doing what probably 99.9% of people cannot do. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, it just hasn't quite been perfect yet. You know I mean? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a funny I don't know. It's it's interesting, you know. Like it's an interesting, um, like almost like the new zero type concept, you know. Of like, well, once you do fifty miles, well, yeah, do a hundred miles, and then once you do one hundred miler, it's like, well, I know I can do it, so I'm going to continually do them, you know, mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It's like almost like a like the steps up of extremeness, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a different race, and just any type of injury or just you know stomach issue or just not feeling well is just magnified whenever you're running that distance mm. too. Oh, yeah, uh, you know Jamel, uh, what is his last name? Can't remember. He has steep, uh, run steep, get high. It's mm-hmm. like his. I follow him, and that's actually what got me wanting to to. I haven't even done a marathon yet, but get into those longer distances is he like does like a little, a uh, little uh, GoPro 
of his <laughs> race, and he's like through the whole thing. And at one point, he's like walking up this grade. I think he's like 13 miles into the uh, Hard Rock, and there's a guy standing off to the side puking. And it was the guy who had won it the year before. And it was just like, dang, you know, like it, it almost seems like nobody is like above those extremes happening to them or, you know, mm-hmm. like are above, uh, you know, stomach issues or anything like that, you know, like bonking or whatever, you know, it's like. Yeah, there's some people that are just so consistent in it that it's really amazing. Uh, Ted Mann has run the, um, he lives uh, in the same town, but uh He's run Hard Rock 110 times, and he's finished in the top 10. Um, hate to, like, you know, give him less than what he deserves, but I believe it's seven times, if not more, which is just amazing. And just his times there are just so consistent, just like, you know, the dart player throwing and just hitting mm. the darts at the same spot, mm. too, that it's really amazing just to be able to go back year after year for a decade and just consistently perform, too. See, not getting injured and maintaining, like, mm-hmm. even off-season training and all that. Yeah, that is super incredible. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible that a human can do that, you know? Yeah. Wow, dude. And it does seem like that whole, probably that whole feel, you know, anybody running any of those is an inspiration. You know, anybody going over a marathon distance is an inspiration. And then you have a whole race of people that are, like, pushing themselves to these extremes. It's pretty crazy, man. It's cool. And so, so what? What? So you did the hundred miler before the Boston? Uh, Boston was in April, and that was actually the uh, bombing year. Oh. And then um, the uh, Leadville one hundred was in um, August of that year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dang. So you were running it during the the bombing. Uh, ran the race. Uh, yeah, the bombing year, and um, just ran. Um, I believe whenever I finished, uh, finished before the bombs went off and um, just I believe that they were already set so ran by them and fortunately we were kind of talking about um, just, you know, maybe not having the perfect day that you want that you're always a little disappointed in. I was really um, being a numbers guy shooting for a specific time and just had some stomach issues during the race so I wasn't feeling well and finished about 10 minutes slower than I wanted to. And at the end of the race, just wasn't feeling well at all. And instead of, you know, kind of standing around at the finish area and soaking it in and watching other people finish, um, just decided I was going to go back to the hotel room and take a nap and shower and just kind of rest. And once again, kind of one of those things that may not have had the perfect day, but it was, uh, you know, very fortunate at that point. Too. Wow. And it was just, uh, yeah, really just sad what happened. God, well, dude. Too. It's just well, unbelievable. And- and the the environment of races and you know like just the crowd and everything mm-hmm. it's such a positive environment you know for something like that to happen it is just such a contradiction you know i mean ah uh, just how many lives were you know forever altered oh, by dude. you know that Ugh. cowardly act yeah that's terrible dude that is super disappointing man we're a little over an hour i got two questions for you well yes, actually sir. maybe three questions so, how do you define success? Oh, you know, I think success for, you know, there's just so many different definitions for it. I think for me personally, just being happy and content on where I'm at and just having fun and 
just, you know, always working towards the next goal is success too. And some people are very successful in business. Some people are very successful uh, monetarily. And then some people just define success as a sunny day out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Nice. Ah, good answer, man. And then, so do you have any plugs? No, uh, no sponsorships. You don't have any right sponsorships? Now. No. How do you not have any sponsorships? <laughs> not fast enough, I guess. What? <laughs> That's crazy, man. It's funny. It's like, I feel like even if you if you do a 100 miler, even the slowest person that does the 100 miler per race, it's like, they're still an incredible human being over mm-hmm. over everybody. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's almost like one of those things like being a bench warmer in the NFL, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, you know, they're not, it's like, dude, they're in the NFL. Like they yeah. did, they're an incredible athlete, you know. Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't know for a fact, but I was like, man, I didn't know if you had some plugs or some. No, I think there's, um, you know, a lot of people really strive to be a sponsored runner, running for a specific brand that um, either you know gives them product or gives them, um, you know, monetary compensation for their runs too. But um, you know, I'm just really enjoying getting out running for the pleasure of it right now and. It's been a lot of fun, too, and it takes a lot of the pressure off as well. Oh, yeah, dude. So much shit comes with that, with, like, Mm -hmm. having a sponsorship or something like that. I'd be like, ooh, you know, it's always strings attached and everything. But so in your your Instagram is Luke Stevenson 806. Yes. Okay. And uh, I'll I'll tag that. I'll tag a link to that in the description of the show so people can hop on and follow you on your adventures, follow you on uh, your – Beautiful mountain runs and living in paradise, man. Mount, I mean, that's paradise, I feel like. Yeah, it's not, if you would have told me five years ago, this is where I would be. Um, just would not have imagined it. Really? So, yeah, just, um, you know, I think just advice is everyone has their own goals. Everyone has their own life direction, too. So just keep taking the proactive steps to work towards those goals and just your personal ambitions and You'll be surprised where life takes you. Nice, dude. Nice. So, uh, do you have a song to to close out the podcast with? Do you have a particular band or something? I like uh, Portugal the Man. Uh, okay. One of my favorite songs is "This Can't Be Living Now." The Man. All right, this can't be living now. All right, sorry, I'm jotting it down. I've I've done this before where I didn't jot it down when the guest said it. <laughs> so it, it ends up, I have to like dig back in the audio and, and try to like figure Taylor out. Swift yeah. closing us out or something. <laughs> Although, you know, Taylor Swift, she's got some, she's got some bangers, you yeah. know? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you taking thank this time. Thank you for having me, trip Dr. And it's everything. been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. And this is Portugal the Man. This can't be now. Thank you all for listening. Shake the night
this episode of the Pain Island Primate Podcast, you can give me a follow on Facebook at the Pain Handle Primate Podcast. Um, I guess it's just that. It's a Facebook group. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Pain Handle Primate. Uh, you can check out my website. Um, give it a like. Um, maybe give it a comment on iTunes. Give it a share if you enjoy it. So, I appreciate you people, and uh, peace out.